And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Welcome to Stars Matter. I'm Manny Navarro, Miami beat writer for The Athletic, joined once again by Grace Rayner, our national recruiting college football reporter. Uh, Grace is heading to the Under Armour All-American Media Day with me tomorrow in Orlando. Grace, you're not in Orlando already, are you? No, not yet. Um, I am going to be this, in transit. That doesn't look like Orlando. I don't see any mouse ears. <laughs> I don't see SeaWorld. Yeah, no uh, no SeaWorld <laughs> yet, but uh, I'm excited to see you in Orlando. I think it's a cool event. We got Ari Wasserman, our National College Football reporter who's at home. Ari, you're going to the Cotton Bowl this weekend. Is that right? Yeah, I forgot. I'm going to the Cotton Bowl on Thursday, Friday, um, and then I'm going to watch the college football playoff games at home. I'm kind of sad about it, but also very happy because I haven't seen my wife on New Year's Eve in like 12 years, uh, and we only met five years ago, so it's going to be fun. <laughs> and then we're going to be covering uh, the national championship game, which is down in Houston. I'm looking forward to it. So, um, yeah, it's a very busy time. I, I kind of feel like this is a nice week after signing day. Um, I'm sure we have some stuff to touch on from, you know, that happened after we recorded our last Stars Matter episode. Um, but I hope you guys had a wonderful holiday, and I'm super excited to get into the show with you guys. Yeah, absolutely. As you can see, there's no uh, Mitch Light with us. Mitch is uh, on vacation, I think, for the next couple of days. So a well-deserved break since he puts up with the three of us all the time. Uh, he does deserve a couple of days off. I know he was a little offended last time because I said uh, when we had <laughs> so Mitch Sherman on. You're being extra nice now? Yeah, now I got to kiss his ass. Sorry, that's the way this works. you to going to have to flip the script, right? He's fragile. He's, he can't handle it. He can't yeah. handle it. He, <laughs> he's he's, he's soft, gonna listen to as this. Kobe said, "Soft, soft." <laughs> we love you, Mitch. Happy New Year Mitch to you. Best. Whenever you hear this, um, guys, uh, you mentioned it, Ari. We, the last time we got together was last Wednesday, and it was at night. And the Jeremiah Smith situation had still not been resolved. We were all kind of like, "Okay." I kept getting phone calls that was annoying everybody, and checking my phone and text messages and everything. And so he ends up uh, sticking with Ohio State, the number one uh, recruit overall in the country. Keeps his commitment after you know, which is hard to do nowadays. Are you right? Like, I mean, how often does a guy stick to a one-year commitment? We don't see that often. Yeah. Um- you know, I think that it became abundantly clear um, throughout the process, even though there was some doubt uh, on the final day of his recruitment that he wanted to go to Ohio State. I think that, you know, he made that commitment early because there was something about the place uh, when he went that, you know, spoke to him. And I think what spoke to him is the vast success that they've had um, at the receiver position uh, year over year with players who were rated similarly or very similar to them. Um as high school recruits. And, you know, I understand that thought process of I am something and I am going to follow a path that other people like me followed in order to reach my ultimate goal, which is to become a first round pick, uh, make a lot of money and um, become an NFL star. And that's not to say that that couldn't have happened at Miami, as we talked about on the show, you know, many times before Um, those types of things can happen with players like that anywhere. Uh, I, I believe that he would be one of the best players in college football at any, any spot. But, you know, at the end of the day, um, you know, NIL does play a a part into this and, you know, things change, circumstances change in terms of what programs can offer you now that that didn't really exist when, you know, Garrett Wilson and Chris Olave and the guys that, you know, he looks up to were going through their recruitments. Um, But at the end of the day, he picked the place that he thought was best for him and, I'm certain of it that Ohio State, you know, took care of him as well in the other regard. So um, certainly would have been interesting to have some late night fireworks if, you know, he would have announced his commitment somewhere uh, in the morning and then signed somewhere else at night. That would have gone down in the long, twisted history of National Signing Day. It didn't work out that way. And, 
Um, that still doesn't take away from the great day that Miami had that day as well. Yeah. And my, the Hurricanes finished with the top five class, uh, top 10 back-to-back classes for the first time since 2005. So Mario Cristobal is doing his thing in Coral Gables. Good for him. Good for the program. They, it's been a while since they've been able to kind of bring this much talent in uh, back-to-back years. Um, Grace, you uh, were pretty strong in the last episode uh, criticizing Deion Sanders, our boy Dion. And um, and and he ends up getting Jordan Seaton. And look, their recruiting class is 102nd. They've got six commitments, Grace. But do you want to apologize to Dion now or later? When do you want to send <laughs> Dion your your apology? Don't, don't do it, Grace. <laughs> your point was correct well, either I way. Did say, it was the one thing I did say that was that ended up not being right was I said I didn't think that Seaton was was serious about signing with Colorado if he hadn't done it already, and then of course he did. Um, so that point, uh, I, I need to walk back a little bit cause Dion did land him and that is a big deal. I mean, to hang on to a player of Jordan Seaton's caliber is impressive. I'm still not convinced and I'm still not sold on Colorado's high school recruiting model. I think we've talked about that a lot on this podcast. Uh, I just don't know how sustainable the current plan is. Um, but they got Seaton good for them. That's a really good get. Yeah, and I think your 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 bigger point though is accurate. And I think Ari and I agree. Like this is just not a sustainable model of six signees, yeah, right? right? You got to have some sort of fa- uh, foundation um, going forward. And you know who knows how much longer Dion is going to be there if he's going to bolt like after his sons are out of there and out of the program to go to another program. But uh, I, I just you're right, and and he's not leaving Colorado or just roll around in his money. Yeah, well, <laughs> he, I think he that's the thing, that right? Is like. Well, none of us know Dion's plans or like how long he's going to be there or whatever. But I think it's fair to say that he's the way he's recruiting right now is not especially convincing that he's planning on sticking around for a while. Like, I don't know what message what's actually going on in his head, but the message that is being received and perceived by the outside is that this is not something he's super passionate about right now. Like, yeah, yeah, I don't want to I don't want to turn this into a Dion episode because we talk about them quite a bit. But it would be nice to know, and I don't know that anybody truly knows, of like what is the driving force behind everything he wants to accomplish in his life. Sure. You know, like we all have a, a compass of like, okay, you know, I want to be a national college football reporter. I want to have a podcast. I want those. These are things that I that drove me, and I made career decisions based on those things. And that's how most people navigate their professional careers. Um, but for a person like Deion Sanders, who has already reached the apex of one um, career path, which is playing in the NFL. Like you cannot accomplish more than he did. Um, I would love to know what drives him in the morning. Does he want to be a uh, powerhouse football coach or does he want to make the most money possible for his family? Um, Does he want to create something else? He's always seemed to want to coach since he started at Jackson state, but at the same time, um, he might have a vision of, I want to be in the SEC. I want to get back to Florida State. I, I, I just don't know don't that any know of us will ever know. The end game is uh, in his own mind, which would help us understand a little bit more like what he's trying to do because he is approaching Colorado like a flip job and people don't flip houses that they want to stay in. You know, that's, you know, people fix them up, they buy them and renovate them if they want to stay. But it seems like he's trying to flip a house. Um, and then parlay the proceeds of that flip into a bigger job. Um, and maybe that's the answer, you know, pay attention to the actions more than the words, but even in the 60 minutes interviews and all the things that I've consumed of him, um, I never really feel like I have a clear picture of what is actually driving him when he wakes up in the morning. Um, and that to me is a very important missing piece in the mystery of what is Deion Sanders doing at Colorado. Thousand percent right, Ari. I think that's I think fair. You, you hit it on the head. We just we we don't know what the big picture is. And I think his actions, right? If we just judge him by his actions, this this smells like a quick exit as soon as his sons leave. Like to me it's just he's not fully committed to this thing. And, and we 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 watch this stuff every day. We know what it looks like to build a program. Yeah. We know what it looks like when a when a coach is bought in or when a co- like I know he's different. Everything about him is different. And you people who get upset with us about Colorado on the internet say, you don't understand what he's doing. He's different. And that there might be some truth to that. Like, but at the same time, uh, we're professional bakers who analyze. No, no, no. We're professional <laughs> food reviewers who analyze baking. All right. <laughs> we know what it looks like to make a cake and he's not making a cake right now. So 
Uh, are we supposed to just ignore that and say Deion Sanders is is doing it his way and I trust whatever comes out of the oven is going to be a cake? Or do you go, hey, there's no flour in there? Because uh, right now there's no flour. And if you don't have a flour, you might get one of these gluten-free things that say. Mitch and my wife eat, but you're not getting a cake. Yeah. I'm like, have you never had a gluten-free cake, Ari? I have. I chipped my tooth on it. (laughs) (laughs) Ari, I like the cake comparison because we're going to talk about the way uh, the four best bakers in college football this year made their cakes a little bit later. I know the college football playoff are this weekend, uh, the Sugar Bowl, the Rose Bowl. We'll talk about uh, Washington and Texas. I cannot wait, by the way. I'm percolating. (laughs) We'll talk about Washington, Texas, Alabama, and Michigan, and the way these rosters were built. And I can tell you from doing the research, Ari, you know my spreadsheets, buddy. I sent you a copy of it. I I, I spend a good six, seven hours just like looking at recruiting rankings, states they they pluck guys out of. And and you'll see in my my spreadsheet as you're looking through it now, Ari, uh, the guys in pink are via the transfer portal. So Dion wants to build right his team in Colorado through the transfer portal. Look at what Nick Saban and Jim Harbaugh and you know uh, the coaches at Washington and 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 everywhere else. Like the way that they built their their teams doesn't have a whole lot of pink. Doesn't have a whole lot of transfers in terms of you know their key rotational players. There's some mixed in there, but a lot of it is sort of homegrown high school recruiting, which I think is kind of. What our show is all about, right? We're, 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 our show is about roster building and recruiting and how do you build this thing and, and bake a cake. Uh, so we'll get into that in a little bit. We have a good show. Uh, I wanted to also talk to you guys about, you know, which top recruits we're most eager to see in bowl action, guys that maybe didn't play a whole lot, guys from this last uh, recruiting cycle a year ago. Um, I want to ask you about that. We're going to look ahead to the class of 2025. Grace had a really good story from last Friday. We'll ask her some questions about that. Um, but, um, Let's let's sort of uh, wrap things up here with the team rankings, just because I know when Mitch went over it last time, you know, Miami was third. Now I see that they're fourth in the 247 composite. I just want to go down the top 10 one more time. Georgia, uh, number one, 28 commitments, uh, 24 blue chippers. Alabama came in second, 25 commitments, 20 blue chippers. Um, Texas, third, 23 commitments, 20 blue chippers. Miami's kind of fraudulent, right? Like when you look at them at four, uh, 27 commitments, but only 13 of them are blue chippers. Uh, That's not the same ratio as the top three. Ohio State, fifth, uh, 21 commitments, 17 blue chippers. Oregon, 26 commitments. They came in six, 21 blue chippers. Auburn, seventh, 21 commitments, uh, 15 blue chippers. And then Oklahoma, eighth, uh, 28 commitments, 19 blue chippers. Florida State, ninth. Uh, 22 commitments, 15 blue chippers, and then Notre Dame. I know, I know this is getting monotonous. Ari, right, I'm going to wrap this up quick. Notre Dame came in 10th, 23 commitments, and 16 blue chippers. Blue chip ratio in that top 10, every, nine of the 10 are better than 50%, right? I mean, that's ultimately we judge how you build things. It's the blue chip ratio. Um, I'm looking at the rankings too, Manny, and I think there's an important distinction to make too mm-hmm. uh, because I do think that um, for most people who listen to the show, I'm assuming they understand this because – if you're listening to a show about recruiting, you're probably a seasoned vet who understands yep. the context that's important to this. But for those who may not, um, the rankings in the 247 Sport Composite are every bit as um, driven by quantity as they are ratings. So if you sign more players, you're going to get more points, which will vault you up into the ratings, even though that might not necessarily indicate quality. So the metric that I typically use if I'm judging a class Um, is the average player ranking, which gives you a key into, and will be a nice segue into the Alabama discussion, um, is the average ranking of the players in your class based on their their grade. And Georgia, who won the recruiting crown, um, has a 93.58 average player rating, and that is a top 100 or fringe top 100 player um, on average in their class, which is an incredible feat because – You know, even though, you know, you talk about blue chippers, there is a huge difference between getting a player who ranks number 37 overall and is a four star and a four star prospect who ranks in the three or four hundreds because there's a lot of them. And when you average them all together and the formula spits out, well, the average player in your class is a fringe or complete top 100 player that is much better than a program who has a 90.63 rating, 
uh, like Penn State does down there in the low teens or upper 20s um, because their four-star qualities aren't the same. So, you know, as you look through the rankings, you can click on the 247 Sport Composite page, the average drop-down menu, and you'll find you you called Miami's class fraudulent. I'll let you own that word. I don't know that it's fraudulent. I think it's top-heavy. Um, but their average player ranking um, is... 90.78, and that is number 14 overall nationally in the average player ranking, which is more of an indication of quality, not quantity. So there is a lot of context that needs to be taken into account. Um, Georgia's number one in average player ranking, Ohio State's two, Alabama's three, Texas is four, A&M is five, Auburn is six, Oregon is seven, Notre Dame is eight, Florida is nine, Florida State is 10. That's the top 10. I don't want to read out all the decibel points because that's kind of you know weird. But let me tell you this. Um, if you are in the top 10 of the average player ranking, that means you have the best cakes. They might not be the biggest cakes, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. but you got some you got some good cake there. And one last thing, you know, just from a mathematical standpoint, the fewer commitments that you have, um, if you have uh, a five star or a top 100 player in there, that rating is obviously going to be more impacted by that ranking. So. Like AM is sitting in at the five spot in average player ranking, but they only signed 16 players and Alabama and, and Georgia, excuse me, signed 28. So their class is almost twice as much. And their average player rating is like, I mean, like the difference between those two classes might seem like it's not that big of a deal from one to five, but it's actually night and day. So you have to like analyze the numbers as much as you do the app, the actual ranking, because that to me um, is not always an indication of who signed the best class or did the best recruiting. Right. And, and the only reason I use the word fraudulent R is because people will say Miami signed a top five class, a top five class. But you and I know average player rating is important. And the fact that they're 14th in average player rating, I think, says, hey, you know what? I can I can sort of take this as, you know what? It's a top 10 class, like back to back top 10 classes. It's not necessarily top five. And I think there's a difference between being a legit top five in quality. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7, U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. And here's the thing that, you know, and and we will get to your spreadsheet, but here's the thing that I think is interesting. God, Manny, you are so popular. Who's calling you all the time? Seriously, are you in debt? I am in debt. (laughs) Uh, The average player on Alabama's roster is a top 75 player. I'm going to say that again. The average player, not just in the class, on the roster of the 85 scholarship players they have on their team, their average ranking was top 75. That's insane. Yeah, that's and they're a dog to a team that has a lot of transfers. So that is going to be an interesting discussion as we get to that point. Is there any and other team I'm that ju- has that? This no, just Alabama. This is the highest. This is the most talented team on paper of the two four seven sport composite rankings era. And the discussion I think that we're going to have to have, if not on this show in the future, is whether or not the super team or the era of the super team is dead. After this year, now there might be some carryover and you're going to have some lopsided teams the next few years, um, but a team constructed with this much pure talent, um, it's going to be harder to hold on to those players the way that teams have in the past with the portal. Um, Players want to play quicker and faster and uh, the days of a top 100 player or a five star recruit sitting on the bench for two and a half years before playing might be dead, which thus might, you know, bring down that lopsided nature a little bit. But that is distinctly unbelievable. And I'm very much looking forward to watching the Alabama Michigan game because my entire critique of Michigan 
uh, since the beginning of time has always been that their roster is just not physically built to win a game like this, um, or at least to beat Ohio State, win the Big Ten championship game, and then beat two opponents that are built like Alabama back to back to back to back. If you don't have the players, you don't have the team, and there's a chance that I am wrong, which is the entire genesis of the Group A, Group B discussion. So, you know, Alabama might go out and win the national championship this year, and Group A can live for another year, but um, I'm keenly aware that this might be trending in a different direction than it has for the past 15 years. Ari, I want to get into that discussion now, but I feel like I can't skip this part because I mentioned this to Grace yesterday. In our don't skip it. Don't meeting. skip it. I just want to say we're going to table the Alabama part and then we'll, we'll yeah. go back to the, the breakdown of the, the, the playoff rosters at the yeah, end here. We are. It's, it's on, it's on mm-hmm. deck after this, but Grace, we talked about which top recruits, you know, from the 23 uh, cycle, maybe, that we're most eager to see in bowl action. Because let's face it, a lot of these bowl games, all the opt-outs, the transfer portal, there's a lot of guys that are that are not going to be playing in this game, which I, th- I think sets up a great opportunity, right, for all these other bowl games to, to finally see some young guys get some action. And I think the two names for me that sit at the top are Jackson Arnold, uh, obviously, who you were very excited about, Grace, last year you know, starting for Oklahoma in the bowl game. And then I would say Devin Brown, right, for Ohio State. He's, he's a former five-star guy, right, Ari? I mean, uh, you're going to get a chance to watch him. Who, who are you sort of looking forward to as far as guys that just haven't really had a chance yet? I want to see Nico. Yeah, I was <laughs> going to say, is there only one answer to this? Yeah, Wait, okay, Tennessee <laughs> put out a pronunciation, which I think was so helpful. e a ma le ava Is that wait? E-A-M-A-L-A-A-V-A. Iamayalava. Close. <laughs> um, Say it again, Grace. Okay. Iamayalava. 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 I thought it was Iamayalava. So I'm, anyway, I'm really excited to see him. Like, he's the one that, uh, I mean, I love Jackson Arnold. You guys know this. Jackson Arnold was probably my favorite prospect in last year's class, but. I just feel like the stakes are so high for Nico as he transitions into this next chapter that I'm super curious to see what he looks like um, against Iowa. Yeah, and that that menacing defense is going to be right. facing. Like a top oh, five boy. defense in his first start. <laughs> and he didn't just – he just like – he won the job, apparently. This isn't like a opt-out scenario, right? Like he, he like won – the opportunity like on the field is what I understand. So um, either way, it'll be exciting to watch him play. And Jackson Arnold is going to be playing for Oklahoma here too. Right. So I think that it's it's like kind of a layup all the time to just be like, um, you know, pick the quarterback. But in this scenario, you have two players that were billed uh, in recruit recruiting circles as the future of these programs. And we're going to get a glimpse of what those futures look like. Um, and then also to the NIL aspect of the Nico situation is very exciting to me because um, it could be a case study moving forward of whether or not investing in a single player to that magnitude is a worthy investment um, for college programs. So, um, yeah, I will be tuned in on January 1 from my couch, uh, shirt off probably. Watching it. I'm excited. <laughs> You're going to bake a cake the, 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 to watch it? Nice gluten-free cake? yeah. You know, I, I actually slandered my wife earlier, and I feel bad. She made some gluten-free cookies uh, on Christmas Day that slapped. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Emphasis on the s- slapped. <laughs> wow. Didn't right. know there wasn't gluten in them. Oh, well, she didn't tell you? Didn't That's even know. That's you know it's good, when you don't go in with preconceived notions, and it was still delish. Yeah. They were, they were a fan favorite. We had some people over at our house, and they were gone pretty quickly. Ari, you're going to be uh, at the Cotton Bowl. Uh, this whole Devin Brown thing is interesting to me um, because, first of all, he wears number 33, which is just awkward, right? That's to see. amazing. They need, they need to sit down, uh, sit down and just be like, listen, buddy, if you're going to be that the quarterback of this <laughs> I program, love it. you've got to. Why just, not? <laughs> you, it's such an eyesore. I can't stand I think it. it's amazing. Like College football law is already so weird. 33 is a great number for a linebacker or a defensive end. Or even a running back. I think it's a lost running back number because <laughs> the big badasses from my childhood used to wear thirty three as running. It's not a quarterback number. Well, he's it's just not. I like it. Th- this whole this whole thing with Will Howard supposedly, you know, possibly ending mm-hmm. up at Ohio State and just 
How mm-hmm. delicate is this quarterback situation? This is, I know this is sort of a sidebar topic, but how quarterback is this, this? How delicate is the quarterback situation with Ohio State going into this bowl game? Yeah, I think that there is this like weird dynamic there of um, losing Kyle McCord and what to do for next year because on one hand, it would be nice to bring in somebody next year that they could feel really good about um, as a one-year rental um, without disrupting the younger players on the team because Aaron Noland is coming in and right. – um, people have high, high, high hopes for him in, in terms of the comparisons to C.J. Stroud and his arm talent and what I saw at the Elite 11. He's a, certainly a, a hell of a player. The last thing on earth I think that Ohio State would want to do would be to go out and try to get a guy like Malachi Nelson, who's young, hasn't played yet, and then threatens the other players who are on the team. Um, but on the same token, too, it's like, well, Ohio State has been so good for so long at developing their own players, um, who's to say that Air Noland couldn't win that job as a true freshman? Uh, I think that quarterbacks are more able to play early on in their careers than they ever have been in the past because of things like the Elite 11 and the quarterback coaching that they get and the way that their bodies are and their understanding of the games. Uh, I don't necessarily buy that a player needs to sit for two or three years to be ready anymore. Um, but also, too, it's like you have Lincoln Kineholtz on the roster who was a pretty good recruit that they were feeling good about, and Devin Brown was supposedly neck and neck in the discussion with Kyle McCord before the year about starting at Ohio State. So, you know, for him being able to play four quarters of football and Ohio State fans being able to get a chance to actually watch him play, um, I think this is kind of a tryout almost of like, what do we have here? Who do we have in our, our quarterback room? And can we go into the next season feeling good about one of these three guys being the starter? Or do we need to go get a guy like, uh, Will Howard. I mean, those are the discussions that Ryan Day has to be having for Ohio State. So um, I, I think delicate is an interesting word because we don't know who is going to be starting there next year. And you also can't make too much of an abrupt move to disrupt the natural flow of their depth chart, um, which would risk people leaving in an era where people can leave so freely. So I think a person like Will Howard would make sense. I don't know that I think he's Joe Montana by any stretch of the imagination. But if you need a quarterback to come in and play one year to set the table for Aaron Nolan the following year, um, I think that makes a lot of sense. But I don't know what that means for Devin Brown if they end up doing that. And um, I think that's a a distinct uh, statement that they don't think he's ever going to be the quarterback there, which is, uh, again, to use your word, a delicate scenario for sure. I'm super excited to see him cook. You know, we had a lot of uh, discussions before the year about what his role would be and how it would look. Um, and then we really didn't get to see him play all that much. He he had a few series here and there, but he never had four quarters of football to, you know, have the highs and the lows. And, you know, Ohio State's wide receiver room is absolutely loaded, too, even without Marvin Harrison playing. So it'll be interesting to see some of the younger guys like Carnell Tate, too, a name that you're very familiar with, play. And, yeah. you know, Marvin Harrison standing on the sideline and, and seeing what he can do, for sure. Yeah. Brandon Innes is another one I'm interested in seeing yes. out there. Uh, former five five star guy. All right, guys. Um, let's dive into the playoff because I feel like this is going to be a lengthy discussion. Um, I know that uh Nicole and Max and Sam and they all kind of broke the two games down in the previous episode on on the Until Saturday podcast feed. But we're going to look at this ultimately through like a recruiting lens because I feel like Ari. Every time I've done these stories in the past, and other people have done these stories where you like put the recruiting rankings of the guys who are actually playing in the game, everybody suddenly look, looks at it from sort of a different perspective, right? Um, so let's let's break it down. Let's start with Alabama and You're Michigan. You're going to run these too, right? I, are you going to run yeah, this? I'd love to run this. Yeah, I'd love to run this okay. in some capacity. So um, yes, I will, I will try to put a story together uh, here in the next 24 hours so that we can get it on the website to run with this with charts and everything. But um, let's start with Michigan's offense and Alabama's defense, um, Ari. Um, and, and Grace, you guys have this stuff in front of you now. Um, the one thing I was telling Grace off air, um, and I mentioned this to my buddy uh, on, on the Miami podcast that I did, uh, is the transfers, right? Like uh, the guys that are that are transfers um, are highlighted in pink. And you look at Nick Saban, right? And he takes transfers, unlike Dabo Sweeney. Um, but when he takes transfers, there always seem to be guys who are meaningful, impactful uh, players for him. And you look at this Alabama defense, um, Jalen Key, I think they pulled out of UAB. He was a three-star recruit. He's the, he's one of their starting safeties. Um, you've got Trey Amos, who's one of their um, 
star players. Another guy they pulled out of the portal, and then Tresman Marshall, uh, the middle linebacker. I think he played the star a, position, not star right like celebrity. star position. Just correct. Be, yes. Thanks for. Thanks I don't for want people t- tweeting at <laughs> Manny being like, "Are you?" Oh, yeah, you know, yeah. We get that a lot. Yeah. yeah. These are the and just for the for the people who are listening at home. These charts are basically the top twenty three players on both offense and defense. Basically, a two deep. Right. The guys who play for who are actually in the rotation this season for Alabama and Michigan on offense and defense. What sticks out to me, Ari, is just the fact that it's not loaded with transfers. Like Nick Saban, like all this recruiting that he does every single year, it obviously counts for something. Like he's just stacking talent, stacking talent. And, and if you look, you look at career starts, career snaps, there's a lot of young guys who, who haven't necessarily played a ton, but the fact that they're so talented, that's why Alabama's in this position because they just come along year to year to year and they kind of surprise you. They don't have big, long you know, careers necessarily. It's one or two years of contributing before they go pro, and it's, it's a formula that works for Alabama. I think the thing that stood out to me, one, is that the red marks indicating Michigan's transfers are clearly more prevalent than Alabama's, but also, too, the snap counts, because you have snap counts here. The Mm -hmm. snap counts for Michigan um, outweigh the snap counts for Alabama pretty significantly. I'd say 25% more snaps um, between offense and defense on both sides here, you know, roughly. Um, So it is a more experienced Michigan team. Um, So that, but then also, too, you know, the reason why Michigan has more transfers, I don't know if it's necessarily as a result of it being their whole plan. I think when the average player on your team is a top 75 player, when the cream rises to the top, you don't have as many blatant holes on your roster to go fill that other programs naturally run into because, you know, recruiting misses don't hurt Alabama the same way they hurt other places like Michigan. Um, If you have a bunch of three-star prospects on your team, the way that Michigan does, a lot of those guys developed into NFL players who are very good and produce and play at a high enough level to match the production that you'll find from a four or five star prospect. Uh, but when those guys miss, they are not productive at all. And you need to go find replacements. So the thing that Michigan has done masterfully, um, based on my analysis here and looking at your charts here, Manny, is that um, they've done a tremendous job of identifying and, and picking the exact type of players that they need to fit their system. I think Jim Harbaugh has done an incredible job, you know, finding diamonds in the rough that he knows will produce the right type of kid, the right type of fit, the right type of athlete. And they, they have a pretty high conversion rate between um, overlooked prospect and production. Um, But they've also done a tremendous job of hitting in the portal. And um, when you have holes to plug and you plug them effectively, that makes you a very deep veteran team that is filled with players who want to be there, have stuck around, have learned the system, and then developed under your leadership and are more capable to do exactly what you want them to do, which is a testament to the growth of Michigan's program and the reason why they're probably favored in this game. So I'm going to kick it over to Grace here in a second, but the last thing I want to say, um, you know, looking at these teams and these players on paper is, is that looking at the way that I analyze the sport, I am very, very, you might be surprised by this, swayed in my analysis of the games, especially when you start getting onto this stage uh, by the players um, and their physical abilities and what they can do development or not. When you're a five-star prospect or a top 50 player, you are able to do things physically that cannot be taught and cannot be developed into. You're just a freak of nature who can jump higher, make plays, have natural feel, and just do those things. So when you amass that type of player um, to the same degree that Alabama has done that, it's a very hard thing to beat through development because as good as Jim Harbaugh has at developing players, um, guess who is also good at developing their players? Alabama. And they start way more down the line physically than the players on Michigan's team. So when I look at the actual game, you know, I think Michigan has been a more functional football team throughout the year in terms of being who they are and executing their plans. But I would think to myself, I cannot give you a real reason physically why I would think that Michigan would win this football game, just based on the numbers alone here of what we're looking at. Um, that said, with the way that the the line has not very much moved and the fact that 95 or whatever percent of the action is on Alabama, I'm very curious to see because I have this feeling that Michigan's going to win. 
I want to know how that manifests. I want to see, like, is Milrow going to throw a bunch of interceptions? Is Michigan going to play its its minds out and, and cash in on their opportunities when they arise? I don't know what it is, but from a pure talent, mathematical roster breakdown, I'm not looking at two teams that should be playing in this game. And that's what's been so crazy and, and somewhat frustrating from a recruiting standpoint to say, hey, you know, we've analyzed this game this way for the last 10 years and Michigan is coming through and being the anti to everything that I've thought about the sport. And I'm very curious if they can finish the job. Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. Customers are rushing to your store. Do you have a point-of-sale system you can trust, or is it a mm, real POS? You need Shopify for retail. Shopify POS is your command center for your retail store. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify has everything you need to sell in person. With Shopify, you get a powerhouse selling partner that effortlessly unites your in-person and online sales into the one source of truth. Track every sale across your business in one place and know exactly what's in stock. Connect with customers in line and online. Shopify helps you drive store traffic with plug-and-play tools built for marketing campaigns from TikTok to Instagram and beyond. Get hardware that fits your business. Take payments by smartphone, transform your tablet into a point-of-sale system, or use Shopify's POS Go mobile device for a battle-tested solution. Plus, Shopify's award-winning help is there to support your success every step of the way. Do retail right with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash theathletic, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash theathletic to take your retail business to the next level today. Shopify.com slash theathletic. I have a hard time with numbers, but... She's studying for the SAT. I know, I'm literally like trying to count all these things. I think, I mean, you look at, so, okay, so this chart is broken into the top half is Michigan offense, Alabama defense, just for our listeners as we're looking at this chart. And you look at this chart, and if I'm counting correctly, you've got, there are only two players on the Alabama defense that were not blue chippers. Yep. And (laughs) that's crazy. Like that is just absolutely bananas to me. I th- I didn't even know that they had non blue chippers on their team. And, the, and they're transfers well, and from the, UAB. Yeah, they're both transfers. Trey Amos is from right. And then <laughs> you look at Michigan, and I think that number for the Michigan offense is six. Um, and then yep. I was like in the middle of counting as we swapped Alabama offense, Michigan defense. But I think the biggest, my biggest takeaway from this is just the sheer amount of talent Alabama has, and that even as we're seeing. Georgia sort of take over the recruiting crown. And we talk a lot about Kirby smart. Like, I just don't know that I will ever doubt Nick Saban and until he retires. Like this man is just absolutely cooking. And this, just looking at this talent is blowing my mind. Yeah, it is. It is ridiculous. Uh, you, you mentioned off air uh, beforehand, Grace, Jalen Milrow. We were, we were talking about five store, five star quarterbacks in this game. Obviously uh, McCarthy is is one and uh, Quinn Ewers for Texas uh, in the other semifinals. Um, those are the two five stars. Milrow was a four star. When you look at Alabama's offense, again, um, you know five star left tackle Caden Proctor, five star right tackle J.C. Latham. Um, you know they've got one three star and it's the center because normally centers aren't anything more than that. Um, and and then overall the rest of the starters and and you can see who the starters are. I put the position next to. Uh, the starters, um, CJ Deepere, the Maryland transfer. He's he's the only other starter. So everybody else on offense for Alabama is a is a blue chipper, except for their starting tight end and their starting center. center. That's yeah. insane to me. So, yeah. like two guys <laughs> um, on the field that when we see their offense are not going to be blue chippers. And what's crazy is just look at the top one hundred. Like you go down quarterback, running back, right? Like you just go straight down the list. How many top one hundred guys? do you see there um you know are we again talking about you know the difference between 
you know, a high four star versus a low four star. Um, again, it's just, it's interesting. And hopefully everybody gets a chance to see this. I, I would say this about Michigan's defense. Um, a, a lot of experience on that side of the ball, Ari, uh, when you look at career starts, mm-hmm. there's a, a hundred more starts, uh, mm-hmm. career starts on Michigan defense, Michigan's defense compared to Alabama's. That's a pretty big gap that is in terms a lot. of, you know, so who are you taking though? Experience or freaks? Right. That's the, that's, that's the battle, big. right? All yeah. right. I think, I, I think, think that should be your headline. <laughs> yeah. Who are you taking, Ari? Think- <laughs> freaks. Freaks win every year. Experience doesn't win. Yeah. When's the last time experience won a national title? Well, I, I do say, I do think this, and I was going to mention this when you, when you were talking about Alabama about 20 minutes ago, Ari, is I think we are in a different era, right? Like the whole group A, group B conversation because of the COVID year, right? Because of the sixth year. I mean, some of these guys, you look at the number of starts that they have uh, in college, the number of snaps that they've played. I mean, Michigan's two linebackers, um, Junior Colson and Michael Barrett. I mean, 1,700 snaps. It's ridiculous. Uh, they're, they're starting they're, – their number two cornerback, who is a transfer, I think, from UMass, 2,600 snaps. I mean, that's that counts for something. That's sort of – I don't know. I think it sort of discounts, you know, just being a freak. If this guy's been playing football for six years or five years, like like Josh Wallace has for Michigan, um, mm-hmm. that helps. That experience helps versus a young wide receiver. Sure, sure. No, I'm with you. I mean, Michigan has beaten Ohio State three years in a row. Mm-hmm. So they've clearly shown an ability to beat teams that are built more like Alabama. But Alabama is built better than Ohio State. Mm-hmm. And I think the thing that I'm I'm interested in here is you have a five-star left tackle in Caden Proctor, who's a true freshman, who's playing and hasn't had a great year because he's uh, very, very early into his tenure there. And it's like, he looks really great on paper as the number nine overall prospect in the 23 class, but then he's going to be facing edge rushers on Michigan's team that are really, really good, (laughs) you know, (laughs) and have been disruptive. And I think experience and snaps played in certain matchups make a huge difference because I don't care how highly rated Caden Proctor is, and he probably will be a top first round pick one day. It's not a matter of what he's going to be. It's a matter of who he is on January, whatever first, right? Mm -hmm. Um, So it's going to be a, it's going to be certainly an interesting matchup. And like, listen, dude, the, the freaks are not favored here. Like there is no like underdog against the world mentality. Like Michigan is expected right now to win the football game. Um, but I just think about what I, I know about college football and it's that on this stage, um, the freaks win and Nick Saban with a month to prepare those freaks is a very dangerous proposition for a Michigan team, um, that hasn't won on the stage yet. And they've beaten Ohio state, but part of being the freaks isn't just winning a single game. It's being built to win these games over and over and over again to win a national championship, which is why it doesn't happen experience beats freaks in the regular season all the time. Experience doesn't win on this stage repeatedly. And Michigan's going to have to do that this year. I'm not saying they can't, Mm -hmm. but it would be the first time in the modern era of us tracking this stuff that it happened. And there was a direct in, in proven correlation between those things. And the thing that I think is interesting, and I'll I'll kick it back to you guys here is, um, is the era over or are we in a, or are we in the beginning of the era being over or is this a COVID thing? Like, I don't know what's happening here, but three of the four teams in the college football playoff this year are not group a teams. Now, Texas, um, you know, is more built like Alabama than they are like Washington, but they aren't necessarily in that same threshold. And it looks like a team will likely win um, the national championship this year, if Alabama doesn't do it for the first time, that isn't one of the super teams. And is that an indication of what the next 10 years are going to look like? Or is that an indication that this is a weird evolutionary year um, that has a bunch of portal movement and six year players who have 9,000 steps uh, coming in and playing um, that to me is going to be an interesting thing to track, not only through the the first of the year, but, you know, moving on, uh, in college football analysis in general and how we and how I specifically might have to change the way that I view the sport all uh, wholesale. I think once we get past the COVID years, we'll have our answer. All right. But I, I, I still think it's a matter of talent. Obviously, the transfer portal will help. But as you can see, this 
it's not like we're breaking down Florida State's roster here where it would be full of pink lines, right? With with guys that they got through the transfer portal. I still think Yeah, it's a nice blend. Yeah, it it, it really I mean it's it's a sprinkling of of transfers versus, you know, a team completely built on transfers. And you'll see it when we flip over to Washington, Texas here in a second. But I think it's like it's just a a handful of guys really that are part of the rotations on both teams um, that are transfers and and fill-ins, whereas the majority of them are are quote unquote homegrown, right? Recruited by the program, they they spent their first two years or whatever, you know, playing behind other guys and learning the system, and and I think that's what you can see here. One thing I w- I just wanted to point out for Michigan, which I thought was a little surprising, Michigan recruits well, but there's only one five star among their defensive standouts here, the guys that actually play yeah. for them. It's Will Jeez. Johnson, the cornerback. Um, and he's young. And he's young, yeah. And and meanwhile, you look at some of these other positions. I mean, look at how many three-stars are starters with a lot of experience for Michigan. Rod Moore is a, is a high three-star recruit. Uh, they're starting safety. Mike Saintstrill, a three-star uh, cornerback out of Massachusetts. Um, who else? Uh, Michael Barrett, one of their linebackers, is a three-star uh, Chris Jenkins, former three star out of Maryland, um, you know. So, but also too, Manny, too. Not to interrupt you, but yeah. if you're looking here, four star number two forty seven, Mason Graham, mm-hmm. uh, Rayshon Benny, four star number one seventy seven, Chris Jenkins, three star, Jalen Harrell, four star number two ninety four, Jaden Hood, four star two fifty nine, Junior Colson, number ninety. He was a top one hundred player, but a lot of yeah. the four star rankings here are players that are outside of the top 200. Yeah. So we're not even talking about just four-star prospects. We're talking about lower-tier four-star prospects yep. that don't necessarily match the threshold that we were discussing earlier when it comes to the average player ranking. So it's not just blue chippers. Yeah. It's lower-ranked blue chippers, too, that are are on the field for them. So like Michigan has not even come remotely close to recruiting at a level that has produced the types of teams who win these games the last seven years. They just haven't. They would be an exception to everything that I have learned about college football the last seven years. And the question for that is why? And is Jim Harbaugh just a genius who evaluates better than everybody else and develops better than everybody else and can sustain this type of success because he knows exactly how to build a football team? Or is this like a lightning in a bottle scenario where, you know, the COVID year, and all the things that um, have come into play in terms of the transfers um, all worked out at the same time, and then this is going to come to an end next year in the twen- in the twelve team field when you have to win all these games in a row. I-, I I'm starting to think that it's more of the former because he's won the Big Ten three years in a row. But like again, this stage in a dome against a team built like Alabama with a month to prepare is much different. Then, like, who who is the lowest ranked team in the college football playoff era that even won a playoff game? I mean, it was those Clemson teams, and they recruited much better than Michigan recruits. Well, TCU, it's not I even would, close. I would say TCU. Oh, TCU is the one. Year. Yeah, last year, TCU. Yeah, right. and they beat Michigan, the team that's right that we're talking about. So, like, TCU didn't beat Alabama or Georgia, right? They, right. I mean, when's the last time a team like Alabama or Georgia lost a playoff game to a team that wasn't Alabama or Georgia? It has not happened. <laughs> yeah. Right, right. All right, let's flip it to Washington, Texas. Um, the one when, when you flip over to Washington, Texas, and you look at offense and defense, the number one thing that sticks out to you for Washington is the number of transfers, uh, especially like mm-hmm. at the skill position, right? You got Penix, who was a former three-star. Uh, you got Dylan Johnson, I think, came over from Mississippi State. You got a couple of the receivers, Polk and Bernard, uh, Giles Jackson among the, the top five receivers for them in terms of, of snap counts. Uh, but the offensive line, which, by the way, won the Joe Moore Award, all homegrown guys uh, that, you know, in terms of the starting unit there. Um, and, they, and they're not very highly ranked. Uh, I mean, you got some four stars in there. Uh, but mm-hmm. again, it's not like, like you said, top 200 players. It's guys that that coaching staff identified and developed and uh, have played a lot of football together. Yeah. I think six of their starters are three stars or unranked. Mm-hmm. They're tight ends and walk yep. on. Yeah. Uh. <laughs> uh, Jake, Jack Westover is a former uh, walk on from, t- from the 2018 class. But again, this is a guy who has been in college now for six years. Grace. But does that make Kalen DeBoer uh, like know? the smartest coach in college football? Like is he? Yes. Like, do we, if we look at this chart, do we have to say he is the best coach in college football at developing talent? 
It's a good argument. Uh, I, I'm not sure. Um, it, it's it's a good topic. Ari, what are your thoughts? I mean, to be able to to get this Washington team to go undefeated the way this roster is built, does it shock you at all? When you see the number of three stars, you see walk-ons. When you go over to their defense, it's the same thing. You go, If you look at Washington's defense, it's not like they have a bunch of four and five stars on defense. Dude, you know what my first thought when I looked at this chart was? Is that like Washington is a combination of Michigan and Florida State. Where mm-hmm. it's like the most important position to them is completely homegrown. The offensive line uh, with four-star and three-star players. I think the highest rated offensive lineman that starts for them was number 171. And all the rest of them are outside of the top 200. And most of them are outside of the top 300. And they won the award that Michigan has prided itself on for competing for for the last you know three or four years and then you go look at the skill position players and it's like holy crap you have a three-star quarterback who was a Heisman finalist and you're getting Heisman trophy like production from a three-star yep you're getting a three-star running back Dylan Johnson runs like like the wind I mean that guy will lower his shoulder and and beat you outside Jalen Polk is a thousand yard receiver who was a three-star prospect so like I look at the way that the offensive line is built um, and then I look at the skill position players that complement, and it's like, well, no shit that they were one of the best <laughs> offenses in the country. I mean, they, they light the scoreboard up on everybody. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, you know, I, I, and it makes me like, like the way they're constructed more because the heart and soul of the team, which is the offensive line that protects the quarterback and lets them run the ball effectively was, was, was recruited, developed and, uh, groomed to be put in the situation and, and compete at a high level but then the players that I think can probably help you the most seamlessly um, are the receivers who come in, and a few of them obviously are, uh, you know, recruited and developed by Washington. But then you add Polk into the mix. It's like, how do you cover these guys? Like I like Washington is a very dangerous team when you look at the way that they're constructed, and it's like, okay, well we're going to do this the Michigan way at the most important position, which is the offensive line, and then we're going to do this the Florida State way at the skill position players, and it's like. Is Washington actually just a better version of Florida State? Yeah. I mean, I think you can make that case. Yeah. Yeah. If you think about it, Florida State's offensive line really has been their weakness, right? Grace? Yeah. Yeah. So, (laughs) sorry, I'm still looking at these numbers. But so, Ari, are you saying that you, like, are you saying that if you have five-star, four-star blue chipper linemen and three-star skill guys... You've got a better chance of winning than the opposite way. Yes. Like you don't. I mean, I I, I'm agreeing with you. I think, I think you have sure. to. I think you have to. I think you have to understand that if you the fundamental thing that makes a five star a five star is a freakish ability. Like if you go look at some of the offensive linemen that Alabama has draft had had drafted the last few years. I can't remember which one. There was one that was like six foot seven, like three hundred and seventy pounds or something who did like a high jump that would have qualified for the Olympics or something. It's like, there's nothing that you can do in Ann Arbor at the university of Michigan that can train a three-star prospect on their team to, to move his body in that manner. But when you talk about the development of an offensive lineman who plays nasty, who is assignment oriented football, who doesn't commit a bunch of stupid penalties and is effective. I think that I, and and even when I covered Ohio state, um, they did a lot of winning, on the backs of three-star in-state linemen that no one else really wanted that they developed. But you can't teach somebody to become Keon Coleman if they're not Keon Coleman. Like, I think that the oozement, the oozing, the oozement, <laughs> the oozing of the athleticism, I think, is more tangible at the skill position players. And I think that's part of the reason why Notre Dame hasn't been able to get over the hump the last few years. They've always had great offensive linemen. I mean, Joe Alt was maybe the best player in college football this year. But they didn't have a, a a receiver that could jump over a DB, catch a pass with his left hand, spit on the floor, and then run to the end zone because he was a freak. Um, so if you don't have freak, and that's the thing that scares me about Michigan, they don't really have freak skill position players offensively outside of the running back room. Um, but Washington has three receivers that can take it to the house every time they touch the football, and an offensive line that can protect a three-star quarterback who was a who I voted to win the Heisman like, and you're getting Heisman. And that's why I thought the Florida state was so special too this year um, before Jordan Travis got injured. If you go look at what made them awesome to watch, it was that all of their best players were skill position players that came in from transfers, like Keon Coleman and Jordan Travis and Johnny Wilson. All those guys were transfers. 
And their offensive line, it wasn't nearly as good as Washington's. Now, add a Michigan offensive line to a team that has the skill position players that Washington has, and I think you could legitimately talk me into the notion that they could win the national title this year. Michigan offensive line. Who would have thought that I would say something like that? Yeah, I love having this discussion. I'm glad that like I can share these things, these numbers and facts with you guys. Because and I'm happy you did it. Yeah, (laughs) I know the fact that like I wish our well, I'm excited that our listeners are going to get to see this data because. This lo- this is like the most diligently put together spreadsheet I've ever seen in my life. Like there's so and it's always m- the same font and it's all like perfectly. It's like <laughs> there's so somebody much ran a comb here. through this. Yeah, like this is what I imagine like, like accountants like look like during tax season. Like it's so organized <laughs> and like perfect. Will you literally just turn around? <laughs> <laughs> Grace is sitting in her father's office right now, and you're not going to be able to see this, guys. But it is. Uh, there's a lot happening over there. Um, there are a but lot I think of books we have to, coming we have, out of this uh, bookshelf. We got we got filing cabinets with papers falling out of it. He so. was not accounted. <laughs> Let's do Texas now too because yeah. we have to we have to do all four. Yeah. So Texas, their offense has some important transfers, but very few. Like Quinn Ewers yeah. is a transfer, and I almost don't even want to count him as a transfer. Yeah. Because right. he. Because he like enrolled at Ohio State early when he should have been a senior in high school, stayed there very briefly, and then went back to the place he was committed to. Um, and then uh, A.D. Mitchell at wide receiver and Robinson, another receiver there, no, um, he's, he's both a of whom back. were a running back. Sorry, From Bama. both yeah. of whom were, were outside. Yeah. Oh, by the way, who ran his ass off in the uh, Big Twelve championship game? Mm. Um, that's it. all Just outside three. of the top three hundred, and that's it. And the rest of their offense. Xavier Worthy, Jordan uh, Whittington, um, JT Sanders, all these guys that have been making plays after plays after plays for them all year. C.J. Baxter, the running back, the five-star that they signed in the 23 class, Jaden Blue, the other running back, are all um, a lo- all um, homegrown talent. And if you go look at their offensive line right now, I think every single starter is from the state of Texas. Yep. I was just counting. Yes. 14 and, and kids on this list are from Texas. Yeah, that's the huge advantage that they've always had. They just haven't been able to piece it together. Now you got a coach like Sark, who's so good as an offensive play caller and mastermind that he he puts it all together with a great quarterback like Quinn Ewers. And it's so cool looking at this depth chart, by the way, when you look at Quinn Ewers, five-star, number one, 2021, Arch Manning, five-star, number one, 2023. Like to be able to stack that kind of you know quarterback, quarterback talent, you literally got the number one guy back and seemingly to back. keep both of them going into yeah. next year. Yeah, yeah. I mean, Texas is certainly the kind of team that could go back to back in terms of national championships because you look at their offensive line. Look at, I mean, the majority of those guys twenty twenty two, twenty twenty one, twenty uh, twenty is a center, but twenty twenty two right guard uh, DJ Campbell, and then your right tackle will, will probably be gone after this year. But but still, I mean, there's there's talent there. They got two five stars on the offensive line. You mentioned uh, before. Ari, that uh, you know they're built like Alabama. Alabama had two five stars starting on their offensive line, so does Texas. Yeah, and Texas's number one recruiting wins the last few years were all on the offensive line. Like Kelvin Banks, for instance, was a huge one, and um, also too their their three star starter on the right tackle position, Christian Jones, is one of the most. Uh, experienced offensive lineman in college football. So you have a yeah. talented young player who signed in the 2022 class as a five-star offensive tackle starting at, at left, and then one of the most seasoned offensive linemen starting on at the right tackle. Like they're often the reason why I have a ticket. Um, I bet Texas to win the national championship before the year started at 25 to one, and the reason why I did that is because of the skill position talent that meshes well together with an offensive line. Like I think their entire offense is complete. Now I, I'd love to see. If Quinn Ewers has a, a different gear to hit as a quarterback, he's played big time in some pretty big games this year. But I'd love to see like the stardom come out in this game. Mm-hmm. Um, but but Texas is built very similarly to the types of teams that you would expect, um, you know, the Group A ish teams to have, and that's an exciting thing to me too. And it's like if if Texas goes out and wins the national championship. That would be the least surprising thing ever because they are super loaded on their on their roster from you know that oozing skill position talent, but they also have a very effective defensive line and their defense has been awesome all year. And their yeah. defense, I believe, only has three as as you see here, um, three transfers that have come in. And the transfers that came in, I think, uh, 
you know, are all either from Texas or Louisiana. So like they're very familiar with Austin and, and what they want to do there. So like I think their team is is very functional and I wish that they still had um, you know, their entire piece of the puzzle because Jonathan Brooks isn't listed on here and he was one of the best players on their team and he's out for the season. Right. Um, injured himself late in the TCU game that I was at, which is very unfortunate. But, you know, I, I do think that when you look on paper here that I would say that Alabama is the super team. Uh, Michigan is the uh, the team that is most um, kind of trying to crash the party, even though they haven't lost and are favored. You have Washington that is a perfect blend of of what you need to do to create an incredible team in 2023. And then Texas is the the team that finally used its talent to get to this point and whether or not they – I think that all four of these teams have very compelling recruiting stories that help tell or paint a picture um, of what they're supposed to do in the playoff. And I think no matter who wins, it's going to be a compelling revelation in terms of how we view talent accumulation moving forward. Yeah. One thing I just wanted to note, and, and Grace, you can share any other thoughts you have too after this, but – Washington's defense has one blue chipper that starts for them. That's crazy. A D tackle. <laughs> one. And one those guys have to cover Xavier Worthy and Jordan Winnington yeah. and AD Mitchell and JT. And like, it's like that to me is like why I have a hard time picking Washington to win. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's like, and how how are they going to cover those guys? But then I look at their offense and it's like, how are they going to be covered? So it's gonna be a it's gonna be a fun it's gonna be a banger as the kids say. So you think it's Texas <laughs> Alabama in the championship with Texas yeah. winning? Of course, because well, of how yes, I've been brain, how I've been. No, 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 no. Because those are the two most talented teams in in the playoff. So but then, what would your what, 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 what would your reason? And this might be taking us down a path we don't want to go. But like, if Alabama is the single most talented it, team in. <laughs> the history of the modern era, why would you pick Texas over them? I don't. You're picking Alabama to win it all? I think Alabama is going to win it oh, all. Oh, okay. Yeah. You just put a bet on Texas at the beginning of the season. I Because it was 25 to 1. I got you. Yeah. Okay, so you actually think Alabama's um, going to win it all. Oh, my little baby's here. Um, yeah. I do think that that's going to happen. Um, and I do think that if the national championship game turns out to be Alabama or Texas – then I will be hedging heavily in that scenario. Yeah. Okay, I got you. But I do have some thoughts that I'm going to have to, you know, reconcile if Michigan ends up losing to Michigan. I think there's a very good chance that Michigan loses. I think that, um, and I can't explain why. I don't know how it's going to happen, but I, I just have this this feeling in my stomach that Michigan's going to win that football game. And people think I'm crazy. Maybe you think I'm crazy. Uh, I don't think that they should based on the way that they're, there's just something happening there that I can't explain. It's just bigger than us. It's like, it's out there floating and I don't know what it is. I don't know why they're underdogs. That's fair. I I really don't. Grace, we wanted to get to your class of 2025, uh, story, uh, but we're running out of time here and, uh, I don't want to hold anybody else up. I know we got other things to do. Um, we will get to it next week on next week's episode when uh, Mitch comes back and leads the ship. But uh, thanks, guys, for doing this episode with me. And for those of you who want to check out those charts, I'm going to get them to our editors at The Athletic so we can get them <laughs> online for you to take a look at before uh, all four of those semifinal games are played. I normally would have trivia here, uh, Ari, but I, I think, you know, I'll, I'll wait till Mitch comes back. I'm going to give Grace a break here before Thank uh, you. the new year. What do you think, Grace? Yeah, ending the ending 2023 without trivia sounds like a Grace. A great there were three. <laughs> there were six of the top ten Stop. players in the class of 1939 <laughs> had to go serve in the military before enrolling in college. Who were those Name six players? Name five of them. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Name five of them. <laughs> All right, guys. Okay, All right. Well, Manny, thanks for doing those those charts. I yeah, thought it was thanks, a really Manny. fun discussion today. I'm super excited to see yeah. it. And then when you uh, when you post it too, I think that you're gonna you know people are gonna enjoy reading these things and coming to their own conclusions. I've got some uh, you know thoughts out that made me feel good, and I hope that people enjoyed listening to this. So uh, thanks, guys, for getting together with us on on Wednesday, and thanks both of you uh, during this weird week where you're not supposed to know what day it is um, to find time to talk to me. I appreciate it, and Manny. You did a hell of a job hosting, so you know what I'm going to do? 
I'm going to let you say goodbye to everyone. What? What? Thanks for listening to Stars Matter on the Until Saturday feed. We will see you next week. Happy New Year. Killed it. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager.